On this episode of the Career Musician Podcast, we have Joel Andrew, president of CD Baby. That's right, I said the president of CD Baby. Now, if you have distributed music as an independent musician or just a musician in general, you are hip to what CD Baby has to offer. And over the course of 17 years, Joel has helped make CD Baby the largest music employer in Oregon and one of the leading online distributors of independent music. The company hosts more than a million account holders and is available to over 100 digital platforms around the world and represents one-fifth of the music on Spotify. Now listen, you're not going to want to miss this episode, so get ready, take some notes from Joel. And by the way, he's the coolest, most down-to-earth guy and a badass career musician himself. Right here on the Career Musician Podcast with yours truly, Nomad. Welcome to the Career Musician, Mr. Joel Andrew, president of CD Baby. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So glad that you guys reached out. When I received the email, I was definitely super stoked. I'm like, okay, now this is something that we can, you know, get behind because we have so many similar, uh, you know, motives or, you know, desires to help the independent musician. Right. Yeah. Uh, thanks for, uh, thinking of us. Thanks for having us on or me on. Um, yeah. That's nice to hear. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right. So getting started, man. I mean, typically I like to ask all my guests, you know, how did they become a musician? How did the bug bite them? And obviously your story is a little different because you didn't take on, uh, well, at least right now, you're not in the standard musician, you know, situation. You've kind of vamped out and, and grown in different directions, which I think is even more amazing but initially how did you say okay that's it music is it for me yeah uh so i am a musician uh still playing bands still spend too much money on it uh all that sort of fun stuff the it, my start was a couple ways one was my family was just my dad was a creative designer he was always doing art show galleries and whatnot my mom worked with textiles and make uh, outfits and costumes my sister uh, she was a fantastic uh, illustrator. Uh, so I just grew up around a lot of um, artists. I wasn't, I was never as good as them with like more visual things that you would see. So I kind of had to find my own little path. And then music was kind of made the most sense to me. I also grew up in church, a uh, killer gospel band that was at my church. And they always had somebody that they just needed somebody to fill in for. Uh, so I, that was really how I started thinking of myself as like, yeah, a musician was just a weekly gig to kind of keep something together. Met some fantastic players over the years, that sort of stuff. But I never thought of it as like a career. It was just, you know, hobby at that phase, trying to figure out how to define myself. But yeah, that's how I got into music, art, family, church, classic story, I'm sure for a bunch of people. Awesome. And you're uh, a native of Oregon? That's right. Yeah. Born and raised in Portland, Oregon. Nice. Tried to move away for a couple of years, which is like a tricky music town. Um, I, I, I don't know. There's, a, you know, the grunge and, and, and all that kind of fun scene that kind of came out a while ago, but has a huge jazz community, has a huge R&B community, largely fueled by that kind of church and gospel scene. Um, good hip hop community, a lot of underground hip hop out of Portland and kind of the Northwest. Um, so yeah, uh, 
The catch, though, is that nobody tours through Portland too much. Like, it's not a hotbed city you're trying to hit. Maybe if you're finishing up the week in Seattle, you're trying to get down to the Bay or LA by the weekend because that's where the big shows are going to be. So it was a lot of weekday shows where just you'd randomly catch an artist coming through town. Um, not a destination that it is now, at least when I was growing up, it was kind of harder to catch the the bigger acts, but it made us really focus on homegrown bands, mm. all that sort of thing. That was kind of a big thing for us was local was, was key. Uh, building your own scene was key. And so it was, yeah, born and raised Portland, Oregon. I, I actually really like that. So I'm originally from New York, East Coast. So that's kind of, you know, especially back then, it was a big music scene. Out here in LA, where I currently reside and have my studio, it's, you know, it, it's the big commercial music scene. So right. I like the antithesis of what Portland represents. And like you said, number one, homegrown. So on that note, all puns intended. Sorry, I gotta have some cheese. Uh, <laughs> I've toured quite a bit uh, over the years with different acts, and I've always loved going to Portland because it was yeah. exactly what you said. It was a treat. Um, you know, <laughs> we we I would always do Seattle and then Tacoma, and like you said, the Bay Area. Go you know go down to uh, San Fran and all those other places, even San Jose and whatnot. But anytime we would stop over in Portland, I've done a, a casino out there quite a bit. I can't remember the name, but you might know. Uh, There's a bunch of them. Uh, it depends on the size of the gig, <laughs> but I mean that was one of the big draws for like uh, the touring acts was, yeah, Port Portland was. I don't know. We had scenes. We had people. You would just go to a show because yeah. I don't know. It was a uh, now nowadays you see a, a live music sign on the outside of a bar and it's kind of like a hit or miss of what you're going to do. But in Portland, you just went and saw music. You had there wasn't again kind of like waiting for this artist or waiting for that artist. There was always a pretty good healthy scene that was willing to go and kind of catch whatever you do. Just go to the casino and see <laughs> who's who's playing uh, type stuff. Uh, sometimes they're big, sometimes they're not, but yeah, we had to, I don't know. It's a music town that wasn't traditional. So it kind of had its own thing, its own vibe. Uh, as it, so as a touring, I don't, I don't know if I'm allowed to ask you questions, but I'm always fascinated when, yeah. When somebody's like talks about Portland that way, because to me, it was like, I would see my friends and then I would go home and sleep in my own bed, but everybody else who was touring through Portland were you staying in Portland? Were you like making connections? Were you trying to get out of there as quickly as possible? Uh, so the opposite for me, first of all, I love nature and the mountains. So anytime we would drive up to do those casinos, we go through these giant forests and I'm just like, oh man, I just want to get out and explore, right? right. Uh, so no, I never wanted to get out of there. I wanted to actually stay longer. And then secondly, I have a dear friend of mine who has worked with Nike for the past several decades. And as you know, yeah. our headquarters are there. So to answer your question, I was the the actual guy who would say, hey, we're going to hit the town you know, one night. And you would have a little hotel, whether it's at the casino or downtown. But then I would try to build in another couple days on my trip to go see my buddy or to do some hiking. So, yeah. bro, I love Portland. Or I mean, I think it's <laughs> them. <laughs> and Good. I love that indie vibe, that homegrown vibe, which is so cool because I like how you were able to spin that into your position over at CD Baby. And to me, correct me if you think I'm wrong, but isn't that what CD Baby represents as a whole? It's all about the independent musician. 
Yeah. So it was definitely our vibe. And so CD Baby actually started in 1998 in Woodstock, New York, but moved to Portland near right away. The scene was different. The vibe was different. Um, there was like a community of musicians. So the way that I found CD Baby and ended up working there was I had just signed to a little label, local Portland label. Uh, we didn't have a distribution plan. I don't know if the label knew anything about what they were getting themselves into because they were pretty new, but we were a small new band, uh, just signed to them. And I had heard about CD Baby uh, through some friends of friends that, hey, they do distribution. So I thought I'll just run down there on behalf of the label, go talk to them and see what's up. I just kind of go in. It's a bunch of people who look like me hanging out uh, my age. And they're like, uh, yeah, sure. We can do distribution for you. You just sign up on our website. That's the end of the conversation. And then they were, they also said, Hey, would you like a job? Uh, we're hiring. And so I started working in their warehouse and yeah, everybody that I was kind of connected to was uh, either a musician or a huge music fan, uh, totally ingrained in the scene. And yeah, everybody that we worked with. So I, when I started there, we had about 30,000 albums in the warehouse that we were working with total titles. And, uh, most of, I mean, you know, everybody who I worked with had an album or two that was coming out of that warehouse, all the artists who would come by were our style. It, it, this would have been 2002, 2003. So the, it was still very much a struggle of, if you couldn't get signed to a major label, you know, are you anybody? Uh, <laughs> could you ever be successful? And then we had these huge artists coming out of CD Baby. A huge one, Dan Zanes, as an example. It's like a full-time professional musician, just figured out the right genre, the right community. It's making more money than some of my friends that or people that I knew that were working out of major labels. It's like, this is just wild. Uh, what's going on with this type of musician. And that was new in 2002, 2003. And then as CD Baby just kept growing and growing, you know, more and more people, similar, like-minded. And eventually, I don't know, late 2000s, early 2010s, it was no longer a debate about whether or not you could be a successful musician as an independent musician. You know, that could be your career. Maybe you'd retire off of that someday. So yeah, we were always around. That was just the Portland vibe was to not care about your status. It wasn't about how big you were, uh, you know, what sort of tour you were making or what. I mean, those things were cool, but it wasn't what you cared about. It was more about just being an independent musician, doing it on your own terms, uh, which, yeah, aligned with CD Baby, aligned with Portland. Our whole work staff was kind of that mentality. It was just pretty cool and chill about it. Um yeah, so CD Baby definitely belongs in Portland. Yeah, see, I like that. And, and in many ways, it's the antithesis of what you find out here in Los Angeles, where, and, and that's not putting Los Angeles down, but it's yeah. very commercially successful oriented. Like, man, if you're not, if you're not hitting at this level, then you're not hitting at all kind of thing. So right. I, I love that, that. Well, there were so many, yeah, there, what's hard about Portland versus LA is like in LA, everybody there are so many professional musicians so many professional musicians in portland now it's starting to shift because people are moving to portland left and right but you know uh, not too long ago you know maybe you were like one of three people three musicians in a friend group 
And so to just say that like you released an album was amazing to say that your music's up at Spotify was impressive to everybody in LA. It's kind of like, well, so is everybody. So is your Uber driver. So is like literally everybody's there. So it just that, that community uh, is different, but simultaneously in Portland, there were a lot of people who were kind of like, this is all I want out of it. it is just kind of like to have an album a year, play a couple of shows locally, maybe get out of town a couple of times. And that was enough for me. But then when I would think, you know, these were some of the best musicians I'd ever played with in my life. I can't believe that that's all they want. Why aren't they trying to go out there and do more? So with that kind of um, chill vibe also sometimes comes like a tempered ambition that it just depends on what you want. So if you want to be around a bunch of musicians that are going to push you to be the best that you can, got to be in LA or New York or somehow connect with that type of community. Portland's different, uh, but also you don't feel that same sort of pressure to perform and succeed. Cause again, like you get a placement in a local little, like a, I don't know, commercial or something like that. And everybody's like, no way. I've totally heard your band. I heard your band play it like out of Burgerville, uh, which is like this little restaurant out here, little chain. So yeah, different context, different vibe. Uh, pros and cons, all that sort of stuff. I love that. And and the downtown area, I'm not sure if that's what you refer to it, but the, the actual city of Portland, I love that vibe down there. And there is a theater that I've played, and I'm ashamed because I've played it at least two or three times. I can't remember, but it's like a classic theater. Do you, do you, is there one or two? There's a number of theaters. What kind of genre? So at the time, I was with two different artists, Babyface, yeah. uh, Kenny Babyface Edmonds, yeah. and yeah, also... Yeah. Uh, Kirk Whalem, who's a jazz saxophonist. Yeah. So, gosh, uh, what would the theaters be? Uh, and it's been many years since I've been back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Forgive me. I, no, I'm, I'm not going to hold it up on you here, but uh, <laughs> I'll find it. <laughs> yeah, please do. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Anyway, it's totally cool. Okay. So well, that's another thing that I'll just say real quick to resonate with your audience base or, and who's listening is. The other thing is Portland's changing now, but for a long time, you know, rent was a few hundred bucks a month. Mm. Uh, you know, food was way less expensive. You know, a pack of smokes was like half what it was, you know, in another city, whatever that was, Portland was less expensive. And so it just attracted a lot of artists uh, that were trying to do something different. Uh, you could live in a warehouse space or something like that until eventually the landlord figured it out and get kicked out because <laughs> you weren't supposed to be living there. So Portland had like this different kind of punky vibe. If you watched like a lot of like, what would be a good movie with like fight club? A lot of that vibe was what Portland was like in the nineties and early two thousands. Right. And then now, so you could kind of get away with like a $5,000, if you got a $5,000 placement for like a, a song or something like that, that would go a long ways in Portland. Wow. You know, you could probably record a full album, get, get in a studio for a good number of weeks, but yeah, outside of Portland though, bigger music city, things get pretty tricky pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, by the way, is bass your primary instrument or do you, are several instruments? I'll play anything in order to be able to play with buddies. Uh, bass is definitely what I want to play. When I think of writing music, that's like what's in my head is bass kind of bass lines first. Right. Uh, I'll hop onto a guitar real quick, trying to figure out some melodies or some accompaniment, but yeah, bass is, bass is what I grew up with. It just felt so 
much better. It's deeper, richer, all that sort of stuff. And I got, I was fortunate enough to grow up with enough people that were really good at bass, not just proficient, but really good at it to see how subtle everything was on this instrument. But yeah, that's more my thing, but I'll, uh, guitar, piano, you don't want me playing drums, but I'll play drums. Uh, anything to just kind of be able to hang out with my musician buddies. Uh, I'll do it. I love it. I love it. Okay. So tell us about how you transitioned from being, uh, you know, full-time musician, like you said, playing gigs and working at the church and whatnot to working at CD baby. What was that like? And, and, you know, what was the catalyst that drew you there? Yeah. So, uh, I would say my, uh, so my first phase, like as the warehouse guy, I was still a full-time musician. So I was still touring. It was between tours that I would, um, I think one year I was out on the road for six months. Whenever I was home, I was just back at CD baby, just working. Uh, and that's what was great about the company was they really supported that. Which by the way, I have to interject. So uh, this is so important. I want all the independent musicians out there, um, who, you know, who aren't like, if you're not Justin Bieber, I want you to listen up. Do, don't be ashamed to do both. That's like such a huge thing. So kudos to you, my brother, for doing it. Thank that. you. Thank you. Know, you. It's yeah. okay to be on tour and then go work somewhere in, at the same time. Sorry. Right. Yeah. The way that I've put it, because I've talked with a ton of musicians over the years, is there's a number of ways to finance your musical endeavors. And some of those are through labels or banks or whatever you want to call them these days. For me, it was my, my, my day job. And that would allow me to go live this life that was really my, my, my reality. That's what I wanted to go do. That's what was important to me. Yeah. Um, so I was touring and touring and it just wasn't, just wasn't working out. Um, and we kind of, it, it, for us, at least there was this phase. We were this band that started together. We we're a number of different bands that all started together. We were kind of these democracies trying to figure out how we grow. And we all had different ideas then there were people like me that just wanted to live on the road in a band with other people that were kind of like, Hey, I have a kid coming or like, I want to go back to school or whatever these things are. So we just started diverging more and more. Uh, and so it started being harder to spend that much time touring with those projects. And so I just started spending more and more time at home going to CD baby and working. And so uh, what was it? I, I spoke Spanish or I speak Spanish. And uh, we started having customers call us at CD Baby that spoke Spanish. And they were like, hey, could you jump on the phone with some of these people? And I realized this was a cool transition point for me was as a touring musician, speaking with other musicians who needed help with their careers or signing up at CD Baby or you know whatever else, you, you can call CD Baby for all sorts of stuff, not just uh, about how to sign up with us. I started resonating and going, oh, I know a bunch of stuff about being a musician, about being a touring musician. And I really enjoyed sharing that. So you're out on the road and you're just starving, or at least I was, uh, hopefully you're not. Uh, and, I, and it just was a really disempowering situation. I was just kind of like, I didn't have money to get to leave the green room or really get out of the van and go visit cities. So we were investing in an album and all this kind of stuff. And then I would come home and get to talk to artists all day and just resonate and really connect because we have our own language. Uh, we know what matters. I definitely want to hear your tips because that's going to enhance my career and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And so I started yeah, getting on the phones with these artists and I was like, I know stuff. It's really important to them. It's imp it makes me feel good to share this information with them. And it's 
I thought pretty basic stuff that you only learn by living in a van for six months. It was like, oh, this is cool. So it wasn't about business or like responsibilities or anything like that, but just to be able to talk to artists all day, every day as a job was just, that was too cool to pass up. And so I just get started getting more and more interested in that. With that came a little bit more and more money. And then with more money, it was like apartments and like responsibilities and those sorts of things that were kind of like, I like this stuff a little bit more than eating tuna fish out of cans every day. Uh, I, I wanted something different uh, at the time. And so I kind of did that phase where maybe I did it too hard or I transitioned too much into a professional and wasn't focusing enough on, on music. Uh, and my girlfriend, wife, at the time now wife, uh, she called me out and was like, you're turning into a jerk because you're a musician and you need to play music. You're not getting your musical outlet out there. You're, you're shutting off your voice. And so, yeah, that's been the rest ever since that first couple of years, it's always about finding the proper balance between being a uh, musician and being a professional. Mm. Um, Let's still tough, still trying to figure it out. Uh, doing my best. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Yeah, well, okay. First of all, there's so many great things to unpack there. So <laughs> I, I'm going to work backwards. You said balance. So it, without balance, right, it's hard to, to have peace in life. And your wife or then girlfriend said to you, you're being a jerk. And I, I can relate because if I don't get my creative outlet, if I don't have enough creative flow, right, we, we get to, we can be grouchy and like, you know, right. so... Man, I love the fact that you brought that to light. <laughs> yeah, that was a big deal. And there, there are, that's how I kind of focus on my balance is, you know, I, meditation is a big part, uh, part of, of my life. And I get that space to kind of go like, well, if something feels out of balance, it's easy for me now to go like, can I tie that to music? Can I tie that to like, you know, pandemic has been really hard. I'm not practicing with my buddies. I'm doing these, uh, you know, jam Kazam things online, trying to like figure out how to like connect with everybody. 
it's filling somewhat, but definitely not fulfilling what it was kind of before. And so I have to spend more time trying to like learn other instruments, whatever those are. But I step back, try to figure out what's at, what feels weird uh, in that space. And it's nice to go. It's a first step for me to go like, is it tied to, you know, music? So should I like just sit down with it with an acoustic for a while and just try to like get in touch with myself again, not try to write a song, not try to write lyrics or anything like that, but just like find a, a, a lick that speaks to me for a while and sit with that for a while. And then I'll feel if anything, a little bit more sane or a little more balanced. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, infrequently is it because I'm not working hard enough or because I'm not, you know, whatever it's pretty often. Like I just need to do more music or maybe I need to do music with a buddy or send somebody like a couple of tracks and see if they bounce something back to me. But yeah, balance is key. I often find when I'm out of balance, it's because I'm not putting enough into music. Amen to that. And then another thing you just said now, collaboration. I always say that, you know, obviously in today's world, content is king, right? You got to put content, content, content. But for me, collaboration is key because if you're always creating content from your own singular viewpoint, it kind of, it can get a little bland when you collaborate. That's what really brings the, the colors out, right? Yeah, at like a whole bunch of different levels. Uh, the collaboration of just like, you know, I was fortunate enough to grow up kind of like in bands. Mm-hmm. And so there was always like other perspectives, largely guitar driven bands. Uh, and so, you know, we were able to kind of push on each other. There was always like the Zeppelin head. There was always kind of like the, you know, the in punk or hard rock or whatever. And it's just different perspectives coming in about like trying to think about what, is missing from a song or from a performance was key. Um, and then, uh, yeah, gosh, probably the second label that I got signed to at the same time that we got signed, a band out of London got signed to the same label. And so we were at some sort of like tour or a label showcase. We connected with them and they were like, we should do these, uh, tour exchanges, these tour swaps where we would book a bunch of shows for them. They would come out and they would tour with us for like a, a couple of weeks and then vice versa. And so just even the collaboration of the, in the sense of like sharing a gig mm-hmm. uh, and then hearing each other for so long together, we ended up poaching one of their guitar players for the next project that we ended up working on for a while. But yeah, just the interaction of musicians. So whether it was touring or songwriting or even finding opportunities to like get signed to the right sort of label or manager or whatever we were trying to do. Yeah. It was, it's key to, I guess, just have that social connection with musicians. And then now like that I'm so isolated uh, still today uh, to be able to take some tracks and share them with some buddies that I know will do the right thing or add some nice production to it. It's just, uh, I don't know how I would have been able to cope with the pandemic. I don't know, 10 years ago when it was really hard to send it off to somebody's. And now it's just like, I can do it from my phone and then I'm listening to what they send back immediately. I couldn't imagine sending tapes through the mail or I think I just wouldn't have done it. I did it. That was me. <laughs> Tricky. I was sending ADATs and, and DAT tapes and DA88s yeah. and then CDs, CD-ROMs and whatnot. Um, but as it evolved, I've, I've been through it every step. And you're absolutely right. 
So now here we are at this technologically advanced era, and it is a beautiful thing. Speaking of which, um, you said something else that reminds me of this. Okay, there's the whole stigma of the starving musician, the starving, struggling musician. And you said it yourself, eating tuna out of the can, you got tired of it. And then when you got, oh, I can actually have a life. I can have a real job. I can have real nice things. I can start a family. That transition, I think, is so important. And I think, don't get me wrong, I'm not putting anything down when we're younger, we all have bright eyes, for, you know, set for the moon, and we're going to pursue our dreams. But then at some point you realize, hey, maybe I do want some balance, some other things. That moment in time is so crucial. And, you know, you mentioned like you had a, an aha moment. Oh, I want to do this. Setting it up in a systematic way, because now you do it as well. You just set it. How, what does your daily routine and schedule look like? Again, keeping that balance in mind. Yeah, uh, and also, as I mentioned, focusing on balance because when I get, you know, like I have to recognize that I I have a tendency to uh, get out of balance. It's just the way that it goes. And so my routine is uh, as a you know president of a company, I'm probably up about six or seven o'clock and getting some exercise. Uh, checking my phone for emails to see if there's anything that came up uh, immediately. Uh, our holding CD Baby is owned by a company that's uh, a, a music firm based out of New York called Downtown Music Holdings. And then they also own some uh, sister companies of ours that are based in the Netherlands and some other countries. And so there's this kind of global continual time cycle of, you know, when it's 7 a.m. for my time, somebody else is going to bed or whatever that is. So always on the emails, exercise, start, and then just get on calls with other professionals that I work with. So probably 75% of my day is just talking to people from this room on this laptop until we can all get back to the office. Um, What's cool, a quick side note about CD Baby is most of the, most of the people that I connect with, like, because they've been at CD Baby, everybody who I connect with has been at CD Baby for a long time. Uh, it's a pretty common thing. I've been there 18 years and there are three people who have been there longer than me. Uh, most of the people that I work with have been there longer than 15 years, if not seven. Most of the company's been there longer than seven now. But oh well. So I just talk with music, uh, these employees all day, these coworkers all day, just talking about, hey, how else, what are we going to do here to help these artists? And that's kind of most of the day. And then the little occasional, maybe every other week or something like that, I get to do something like this. That's a little more outward facing than just kind of internally on the company. Um, but the, yeah, the four o'clock, the five o'clock rolls around, the laptop goes down. Uh, these instruments in here are for when I have time in between those calls or those, those, those video sessions. Uh, I've got another acoustic down here and an SG over there that I'll just kind of pick up when it's time to like, I just need planking and I need to kind of like keep my shop and chops sharp. Um, but it's really only like, uh, yeah. Oh, well, five o'clock days over, close the laptop, go, go for walks, go outside. Pacific Northwest is great for that. Yeah. End of the summer, it's starting to get a little rainy anyway. So get it while you can. I don't know. Just pretty routine stuff. Start making dinner after work for the wife to come home to, um, that's awesome relax until the next day it's pretty pretty mundane until you get into the weekends 
and the majority of my friends are musicians. And so if I do get to see somebody, get to spend some time with them, we're either talking about music, if not doing music, uh, going to music. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll write my songs. I've been trying to use this practice where at least once a month, I'll write a song and then delete it uh, because I'm not traditionally a singer songwriter on an acoustic. And I am too much of a perfectionist, especially as somebody who's been a part of like major production musical work or music works that I'm kind of like, it doesn't feel good enough. So just knowing that after, after my two hour session with the guitar or whatever I'm doing, that I'm not, I'm not even going to try to remember it. I'm just going to delete it. Knowing that that's, what's going to happen wow. allows me to kind of like push through my perfection pretty consistently. And then I also have this goal that uh, in October, I'm going to record six songs. So every now and then I'll actually hold on to one of those songs and be like, I'm not deleting this, but that's been my practice a couple times a month, uh, mostly on Saturdays uh, when I have some time to work on it. That's a, that's a very interesting approach and a, shall I say, boastful, like, like, boy, that's a boisterous discipline to delete it. <laughs> Just be like, no, that's it. I'm killing it. Well, what it is, is it's not good. <laughs> and so it's, it's easy, like when I'm in a band and we're working on a project and we're writing songs together for months or whatever that is, uh, those things have like my perfectionist tendencies or my concern for quality really kicks in there. And that's kind of my role in the band is to be a part of that. Mm. But when I'm just doing my own stuff, I can be a little brutal, a little too, too brutal on myself that will discourage me from engaging. And so I have to kind of put up some limits uh, just, I know how I work and I know that I'm going to get frustrated because this song won't be good enough to someday play in front of people, but that's okay. I should still play music. I'm a musician, not just a performer. Uh, I need to get this out yes. and then, you know, record it a couple of tracks or a couple of layers on it, and then just know that I'm going to delete it. And again, it's always nice to know that like, well, maybe I'll, Maybe I'll hold on to this one or something like that. I don't have to get rid of it in full. It encourages me to write more music. Um, and yeah, I guess I probably write more songs that I put down on tape than I would otherwise. Yeah, it just gives me a safe space to kind of work through it, not have to be, not have to take myself too seriously. And then also I can write like stupid kid songs or I can write like, you know, I can write about whatever. And it can be stupid and just be like, it's out, it's done. I did my music thing. Yeah. Delete it. No, no, no criteria. I love that. And it is, it's an exercise in 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 letting your creative, you know, self just run with it. I, I love that. That's a great, that's a great idea, actually. Very cool. All right. It works for me. <laughs> that's awesome. So I, I've kind of planned this. I wanted to take the first 30 minutes or so getting to know you as the person, as the musician. And now the next half of the episode, I kind of want to dig into a little bit of what CD Baby is all about and your role there and the initiatives that you guys have to help musicians. Um, and let me just start by saying this, the, the mission statement of the career musician here. So, okay, two things I want to say it's really, really quick. Sorry. Uh, I, I always knew I was a songwriter, composer, producer, artist, but I always kind of earlier on in my career, I always kind of pushed that away. And I focused on being a sideman, quote unquote, what we used to call a sideman. Now, it make, makes much more sense to call it a side person, meaning that I would play guitar for other artists 
both on stage, on tour, and in the studio. So I have lots of album credits and touring credits and film and TV credits where I'm playing guitar, right? Yeah. That was always my side person role. Always knowing deep inside, man, I really am an artist and a writer and my own composer and producer, but I never really fully cultivated that aspect. So that being said, the mission statement of the career musician is to empower musicians with strategies for a sustainable career. Now, that's a blanket statement because I don't care if you're pursuing the artistry or if you're pursuing music as a side person that statement, that mission blankets all of those areas. The reason why I bring that up is because you guys at CD Baby have a very similar initiative. You know, you guys started, like you said, back in 1998. It was to, to help the independent band, artist, musician, whatever, you know, distribute their music. So let's start there. Talk about that. And I know that you're a huge proponent for, you know, mentoring people in this area. Yeah, uh, it's interesting to hear that as your mission statement because it absolutely resonates with what we're trying to do. So uh, we're a music for musicians by musicians, or we're a business for musicians by musicians. We see uh, ourselves as an accompanist, uh, a side person uh, to the musician. So we are an a la carte partner. Uh, if you need distribution, we can help with that. If you need promotional tools, we can help with that. If you need a website or whatever these things are, we can help with all these different things at your leisure. We're just your partner to help you be successful. But yeah, our DNA, so CD Baby started, I don't know, uh, it started in 1998 because the founder was just trying to sell his own CD uh, at the local CD store. And back then you needed a distributor. You couldn't get into FYE, Sam Goody, let alone Tower Records, unless you had a distributor. And so he said, well, how do I have a distributor? He was a successful touring musician who was playing like college campuses on the college circuit. He was like, how do I get a distributor? And they said, oh, good luck, blah, 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 whatever. And so they ultimately gave him some parameters. So that's how CD Baby started was he created an online distribution company just to sell his own CD. And then he got his CD in the local store. And then all of his buddies started finding out, hey, I can you get my CD on your store too? I'd love to get, or on your website, I'd love to get my store in the CD stores as well. Stores started going away over the next number of years and it just kept growing and growing and growing. Initially as a side pro personal project, then a side project, and then to a full business. And so right when, around when there was 20 employees or so, it's pretty obvious that like, it's just a business now. It's not like a thing. Uh, you know, he had employees that were getting benefits and all this kind of stuff. So it shifted from an adventure to a business at the same time that the founder was really defining like, so what's CD Baby future? So if distribution goes away, what are we going to focus on? So at the that time, it was only CD sales. So we started doing MP3 sales off of our store as well. Then we uh, got the first independent distribution deal from an lab independent label to be at iTunes. So it was the five majors at the time and CD Baby. Uh, and that was it. And so we just knew that, oh, everything that we should be doing is thinking, not just distribution, that just happens to be one of the more complicated things that occurs in the industry. And is it, now it's almost dime a dozen. There's so many competitors to CD Baby. It's not super convoluted like it was way back in the day of what you had to do. But again, our vision wasn't, let's be a great distribution company. It was, let's provide, let's 
make solutions for independent musicians based off of technology. So that's the other side of it. CD Baby is a tech company. And so we look at it as like, well, what's the next big problem that we're going to, that an artist has right now? Let's uh, figure out publishing or something like that. So CD Baby started this publishing company. Uh, now we're empowered. We sistered up with Song Trust. Uh, we're a sister company with this, this other firm uh, called Song Trust that does publishing. But initially it was just, what's another problem that we can help solve and use technology to help fix it? Because that's the other thing is, CD baby artists, long tail artists, you know, they're not making millions of dollars. And so when you take a small fee or a small cut, you have to put it into, you can't just put it into a whole bunch of people that are doing, you can't just hire a whole bunch of managers. Uh, you have to build technical, technological tools, uh, digital tools to be able to help these artists at scale. Cause that's the only way it works. So when majors were trying to find the next huge artist so that we can, they can make their next million dollars, uh, to pay for the next million employees that were going to help all these artists be more successful. CD Baby was all about, let's build additional tools. Uh, it, again, just to help the artist, help you spend more time focusing on just creating music. Hey, this is Joel Andrew, president of CD Baby. You're listening to The Career Musician with my buddy Nomad. Go behind the scenes with host Nomad to gain inside knowledge of entertainment business from the world's leading musicians, artists, producers, managers, and more. Help us continue to provide you with new and engaging content by getting our ratings up. Please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Back to your, like, uh, was it a side person? I forget what you said. Yeah, side uh, person versus artist. Whole yeah, what's yeah. cool about my role as the president of the company is I would take it all the way back to I'm a bass player hmm. because my role is not to be front and center. And there's some fantastic front people, bass players. I love watching them. Yeah. But really, I always felt like my job was to be in the pocket and like enhance and support the expression of the more lead instruments. And I, <laughs> I parallel that a lot, not only as a president of a company, but just as the business itself is like, we're here to be in the pocket for you. We're your, we're your rhythm section. We just support you. You do what you want to do. And we'll make sure that you don't have to worry about any of this other stuff. Don't want to worry about your email list. Don't want to worry about uh, your release timing. You don't want to worry about any of these other things. Let us handle that back, you know, with me on the base. You just do your thing. And we'll, and we'll also, the other thing is like a really good bass player fills the void. Sometimes a bass player has got to step back. Sometimes a bass player has got to pick it up, kind of push you, slow the song down. You can have a lot of control from that place, but it's all about making the best experience, the best music, the best performance, whatever that is, the best recording. So, yeah, that's kind of the ethos at CD Baby as well is like, it's not about us. It's about the million artists that we help out. Uh, making sure that the next musician is like, I don't know if I'm really a professional musician. I don't know if this is really the career that I want cut out for me, but I'm clearly still a musician. It's like, well, sign up at CD Baby. You don't have to be a full-time career million-dollar artist. Sign up at CD Baby. We'll take care of everything you need to help take care of it. So that way you can just focus on making more music. Just focus on the part that you're really good at. Um, yeah, so I guess... CD Baby's vibe, let alone what I get to do now as a president. We're just here to be a side person, 
make that make that front person be that much stronger. Let them focus on what they should be focusing on, which is the really important stuff. And then we'll just kind of yeah, be in a company. I love that parallel, by the way. Thank you for connecting those dots. That was beautiful. Uh, you know, with some of the milestones that the company has achieved, like, you know, you're the largest music employer in Oregon. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, sorry. Sometimes I say Oregon because of my New York thing comes out. So I try to make sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's plenty here calling it Oregon as well. Yeah, Oregon. One of the leading online distributors of independent music, that goes without saying. I mean, it's clear. Uh, it's You know, what I found is the company has more than 650,000 artists, but I, it's probably a lot more than that. Like, you, Oh, yeah, it's over a million. Over it's a million, over. that's what I thought. All right. Oh, and, and let me be clear. There's a difference. So we have, uh, we have account holders, and it's over a million. Inside of an account, you have countless acts, and acts that's like a singer-songwriter or a band or who knows what. Countless. And then inside of that, you have a band and who knows how many members are in a band. So right. CD Baby is still trying to figure out exactly how many musicians we work with. So account holders, over a million, but that, who knows how many musicians we're really servicing. So Right. No, no, no. Absolutely. And, and, and it's your music is available with, you know, to over a hundred digital uh, platforms around the world. I'm sure, right. like you said, that's probably just growing and growing every year. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then this stat that I found you, your music represents a fifth of all the music on Spotify. Is that true? That's right. Okay. Yes. So, so those are some profound, you know, milestones, some big numbers. Let's talk about that uh, growth and that that growth mindset as the president. You know, how much of that falls on your shoulders, and and how is it managing <laughs> all that? You know, yeah, uh, I mean, it all falls on my shoulders. Uh, I'm fantastic. I'm I am lucky to work with such a great team. We have the most experienced management team in the independent distribution space. Uh, again, I'm one of many people who've been here over 15 years, let alone seven years, let alone, I think uh, we just had an employee hit 20. Uh, wow. So we know what we're doing. We've been doing it from the beginning. Uh, we know what to focus on. The growth side, I mean, I mean, the growth side for the business is more about finding the artist and connecting with the artist. The real growth is the artist itself. Mm -hmm. So uh, what is it? Um it's never been a better time to be an independent musician essentially ever, maybe before recorded music when it was like street corners and bar mitzvahs that you were playing or something like that. Maybe it was different then, but since recorded music and there's industry around recorded music, never been a better year. Medea and IFPI, EFP, they have these big reports of kind of like the health of total sound recording globally. Now they're reporting that we're, 2020 was just shy of 1999's uh, total global recorded music revenue. So 1999, I was working for EMI Music Distribution. Uh, then it was the ba uh, the banner year of all revenues. And then digital and Napster and Kazaa and all those sorts of things put a big stop in those plans. But that was crazy money for musicians. So we're we're just shy of that last year and we're continuing to grow globally. So this is all recorded music, all add, adding up all that money, whether that's streaming or downloads or sales or whatever that is, licensing, all of that into one bucket near record levels. We're probably going to hit records this year. 
but simultaneously, uh, the it's never been a better time to be an independent musician because uh, there's more money, but also there's more money going to independent musicians. So the other thing that comes from these reports, largely from Medea, is that the fastest growing sector of the global recording revenue, so the big pie, majors have the biggest slice of the pie, the major labels, and you know, independent and minor and all these kind of other things have their different slices as well. The fastest growing slice of pie is independent music sector. And these aren't indie labels, these are aggregators such as CD Baby, DistroKid, TuneCore. We're the fastest growing sector in that whole space. So even though I guess your question was more about like, you know, is this on my shoulders? My what's what's really happening though in the industry is the just a global growth of what it means to be an independent musician. There's more money out there than ever before. There's more money going to independent musicians than ever before. It's it's a good time. It's a good time to be a president of a music aggregator, a music distributor for independent musicians, such as CD Baby, because it's growing and growing. And it makes sense because what was novel, what was new in the late '90s, early 2000s, of like you don't need a major label, you don't even need a label at all. You could just go sign up for one of these companies. That was a pretty U.S. centric notion. And then eventually went to Europe and then throughout Asia and then now South Africa or Af- all of Africa and LATAM. Uh, it's basically global that's very aware that, oh, you just, you don't, you used to, if you were in Latin America, you needed a, cro- a breakthrough crossover label that would bring you from LATAM up to the US and then you'd go big. Right. Now you can just, you could never leave the Dominican Republic, be the number four uh, reggaeton artists of the world. And uh, it doesn't matter if a label and reject every label offer ever. This happens to be one of the artists that's at CD Baby. It's just crazy what is happening in the world now. Uh, so more money globally, more of that music going to these independent types of musicians. Um, simultaneously, though, what, what's the other stat is 60,000 new tracks a, a day are going up to Spotify. Uh, a day bonkers how many of those stay up that's a big question because even though it goes up doesn't mean they stay up because there's a lot of weird stuff going on out there but it's a huge growth number so yeah it's not just more money going to independent musicians totally and growing but also there's like a lot of competition out there uh going on about like how do i cut through the noise how do i make sure that my music is heard um, so, no, but no. what's, so sorry, so I just, <laughs> I went for a long one. The, the last thing that I'll say to all that is like, what's really cool about that though, is the social community, uh, 20 years ago, you didn't know how to be successful as an independent musician. You didn't know what that meant because you were measuring yourself against, you know, huge artists, huge breakthrough artists that arguably you were never going to be. But now you don't need to invest a million dollars into an artist in order to break them or even $10,000 to make a recording because you can set up a home studio, you can use Twitch, you can do these other things. So even though you might be competing for a smaller market share because there's 60,000 new tracks a day, you don't have to invest or sink as much into your productions in order to get a return. There's probably a good number out there that talks about what that ratio is properly, but more money, 
increasingly more money and more tools and access to be able to like yeah. get after that money. It's just, it, that's what's crazy these days. Yeah, well, no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I, no, no. I get excited as, as you're saying things. I'm like, oh yeah, I like that. I like that. I like that. So I'm, I'm keeping track. Uh, yeah, you got a show to do. I- <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's a lot to unpack and there's some great gems in there. So I want to start with this. First of all, thank you for bringing up uh, DistroKid and TuneCore and such because I was going to ask you about that. I was going to say, so I'll just, I'll present this question first. How yeah. does CD Baby differ from the other aggregator distributors? Yeah. So uh, in a number of ways, I think the most impactful for an independent musician such as myself is that what DistroKid is trying to do is really provide digital tools uh, that artists want. And if it happens to be distribution, so Philip Kaplan is a fantastic visionary technocrat. And if he has an idea for something, he's going to build these things and hopefully artists really want them. Uh, Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Uh, sometimes they do, but they don't know how to use them. And that isn't really the vision of DistroKid. It's more of like, hey, we're, if you want to use this stuff, it's here. And, and if you can use it, great. If you can't, sorry, that's not who we're going after. Uh, TuneCore is a little bit different. It's fo- So I would say DistroKid is more also about creators, which are different than traditional musicians. Uh, I, I, would, I would define, and there's a lot of gray area between the two. You have to kind of be good at both to some degree these days. But I would say a creator who's kind of like creating content on YouTube first, who like films themselves while they write a song and make make the full production. You know, their fan engagement is really to watch them do a live performance, to make a song video wise. And then DistroKid has tools to like help those types of creators. Uh, TuneCore is more about the traditional artists, uh, the bands, the singer songwriters, who aren't necessarily looking for as many digital tools, but they still need distribution. They still need what's, what's out there. So I would say between those two, they're just kind of focusing on different sectors mm-hmm. of uh, types of musicians. CD Baby, I think, is the right balance between the two. Uh, I don't want to sell too hard because that's when I always stop listening to podcasts. Mm-hmm. But uh, the difference is CD Baby is in. CD Baby knows who it's going after. We're going after traditional musicians. We're going after uh, the bands, the singer-songwriters. And we also hyper-recognize, because we've been doing it for over 20 years, that that's not an easy thing for, uh, you know, musicians aren't synonymous with technology. Uh, musicians aren't, don't know, uh, we were just joking before you hit the record button about how I always, you know, forget to plug in the last little bit of my cable or you hit the phantom power button or you're soloing a channel or whatever is going on. Yeah, I forgot to hit Phantom, like, duh. (laughs) Those are real things for musicians. And so CD Baby's vision of what we're going after is, let's make sure that musicians focus on what they have to focus on in order to make more music. It's not focus on the internet. Let's break down, as we've been doing for the last 20 plus years, let's take really complicated things and break down how distribution works so now it's a dime a dozen, you sign it up, but we we're the first to go like, this is too complicated for an independent musician. Let's make it way simpler. And so that, that's our mission. That's who we are. It's what we've been doing for a long time. So we're not just like tools and we're, uh, that you can use that are just sitting there. And we're not kind of uh, just, I don't really, I guess, uh, we're not just focused on traditional distribution solutions. CD Baby is a good balance of 
distribution solutions, a whole bunch of tools too, because it's more than just CD baby, uh, but really education and empowerment and support to the independent musicians about what it's about. So we have this other brand called DIY Musician, and we have a podcast and we have our DIY Musician blog. And twice a year, we have a DIY Musician conference. One is in Valencia, Spain, and the other one's somewhere in the U.S. Uh, next year, it will be in Austin. We just had 10,000 people sign up for our uh, virtual DIY conference, uh, DIY Musician conference that was a week and a half ago. A little over a week ago, so uh, we don't <laughs> we don't make money off of that brand, that DIY musician brand, but it's delivering on our mission of empowering and educating independent musicians. Uh, so yeah, that's where I see all three kind of in different places. Um, there's probably a lot of artists that are at DistroKid that don't need CD Baby. And there's probably a lot of artists at TuneCore that don't need DistroKid and all that sort of stuff. Right. But my job is to really make sure that people understand what CD Baby is about. And I would say anytime you really wonder, we can do all this stuff, but also check out DIY Musician because we're going to make you the, the best artist that you possibly can be. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, Rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Okay. Uh, once again, great, great. I'm, I'm getting my <laughs> hacking notes here. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm so glad you said that because I was going to say the education uh, component, which I, I've seen firsthand just from being uh, literally from being on your email lists through CD Baby and DIY Musician. I read as much as, much as I can. I can't read them all, but of course I read a lot. Yeah. Uh, there's and, a lot. Yeah, there's a lot. And you guys are very big on the education component. So, hey, here's why publishing matters. Here's how to do this step. Here's why you need to do X, Y, Z. And I love that. If you don't know your why, then of course you're not going to be driven to do it. So you right. guys really, really explain that in black and white. And I think that's fantastic. Uh, so which was going to bring me to my next point and you already called it out. First of all, the bilingual factor, amazing. I was suspecting that you spoke Spanish when I see that you are doing uh, a lot of the work in Spain with the Ber Berkeley College of Music and so forth. So you uh, trilingual, actually, I only speak English and Spanish, but our company also supports in uh, Portuguese, largely Brazilian Portuguese. Beautiful, beautiful. So, so you guys really do take an active role, and I have a little bit of a guilty admission. I am not distributed or aggregated on CD Baby. Uh, my wife and I have our own band, and we've been using DistroKid primarily. However, through this process of doing the research on you guys and just you know just t paying attention, I think I want to take our next EP and put it out on CD baby. Cause I want to try it. You know? Yeah. 
I think that's a good move, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a different thing for everybody. And, and I, I'll, I'll admit that there's a place, there's a role for major labels. I think it's a declining role. Uh, I think that there's a role for mid-tier labels. Like, I think it's a, what's really nice is um, I check in with a counterpart at TuneCore monthly. I check in with a counterpart at DistroKid monthly. We're not like, we're not like oil barons trying to take out, take each other out. We don't, we see that we're, we all individually see that we're trying to support independent musicians. We just have a different way of going after it. And independent musicians, I would argue maybe half, only half of traditional independent musicians are currently distributed. So, I mean, there's huge green pastures for everybody's growth. Uh, And so we don't, maybe someday we have to get a little cagier with each other about competition, but at this phase, I think everybody's trying to help out. Let's not kick each other while each other are down. I mean, there's some real competition and, you know, money's real and all that sort of stuff. But if you're trying to help independent musicians, you can't be that bad. Uh, Oh Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I love that. I, th- I love that. I think that's perfect. Okay, so uh, something else I discovered. It says here on a lot of different uh, areas that I've done some research that you post regularly on a number of social media accounts. I know a few of them, but will you tell our listeners where where they can find you and where they can find these little uh, you know pieces of in- information and inspiration that you have been you know giving back to the community? Yeah, for sure. So definitely don't follow me because you'll get a bunch of stuff about animals and whatever, uh, wine and Pacific Northwest hikes. Uh, I would really encourage you to just follow CD Baby on any socials, uh, largely Twitter and Instagram. Definitely sign up for the DIY Musician blog. Uh, go to, it's just our DIYmusician.com. Uh, head there, sign up for the newsletter. Uh, don't just follow us. We'll make sure you get the ha- info and hands that you actually need. But yeah, uh, CD Baby, CD Baby, CD Baby, you know, that's where Twitter, Instagram, that's that's where you want to go. Uh, check out our uh, conference next year. So we're going to be in Austin. We're going to have about 1,500 independent musicians. It's three days. Most industry conferences, I don't know how many, how many musicians try to go to South by or whatever, but, you know, those are expensive conferences. I think the highest... If you miss the early bird sale for the DIY conference and you have to pay full price, I think it's like 130 bucks for three days of being able to sit in a room with people from Spotify and YouTube music and Amazon and everybody, great let alone all the speaker keynote speakers. Last time we were in person, we had Daryl McDaniels from Run DMC and Questlove come out and drop a bunch of knowledge about what it is to be a musician and different perspectives on things. It's it's crazy. Oh, but sign up for the blog because even if you can't make the conference, you're going to get a lot of that same information. I love that. And by the way, that's a fantastic deal. I mean, so you guys put your money where your mouth is. The proof is in the pudding. You, you know, you're serving everybody on an open playing level playing field. And that's a good thing, man. That's, that's fantastic. Thanks. Yeah. Appreciate it. So, Hey, I always like to ask my guests two final questions and, yeah. and this would be, uh, you know, they're both kind of the big ones, so to speak. How do you define su- success? Ooh. So this has been uh, evolving over the last number of years uh, because I both define it for myself and also, you know, I'm helping over a million artists define it for themselves uh, because I'm in a position and have a platform to be able to say, maybe your concept of success is 
not helping you in the way that you needed to. Uh, so what, what I really try to focus on is what are your goals over the next year? Uh, keep it for an independent musician who's not making over, I don't know, a few hundred thousand a year. You know, th- those other people, I'm not trying to speak to them. But if you're in the maybe $1,000, $2,000 a year, it's a side project, you're a hobbyist, set some goals for the next year and hit that. And be really gentle on yourself if you don't. And that's it. If you have uh, what could be some good, easy ones if you're at the beginning of your career, get 20 fans. Like this is what I knew from being from a touring musician. You drive for six hours, you get to a town and there'd be 20 people there for a show. And you'd be like, is this worth it? This is so hard. 20 people, come on. But the context is uh, as talking to countless musicians, let alone people who aren't musicians. Imagine if you were a musician or if you were never a musician and you always wanted to be a musician and for like, I don't know, $100,000, you could just pay somebody to put an outfit together for you that suddenly you're in a band and you have 20 fans who are going to come to your first show and listen to you rock out and they're going to love it. The context of that, of somebody who never had that versus somebody who has that is just, it's weird. So I used to think of that as a bad thing because I wasn't Blink-182, you know, who you know, was in our genre. And so I was like, this is a failure. But now as being around so many independent musicians, I just really want to stress, if you can get 20 people out of the seven and a half billion people in the world to love your music, that's a huge level of success. Most people in the world will never have something like that. And pretty much everybody in the world at least wants something like that someday. So 20 fans around the world that are going to subscribe to your next release on Spotify or whatever that is, Apple Music, any place, however, their email or people following you on Facebook, that's a real thing. Just 20. What could you get in the next year? The other one is like some uh, money things, you know, be profitable. (laughs) Set that as like a goal instead of this thing that's like, I'm going to quit my day job. I'm going to go make a million bucks. You know, maybe you'll get there. I hope you do. But what's something you could do in the next year? Maybe limit the amount of money you spend. Maybe just spend on the right things that help you get to that next phase and just kind of go like, well, I spent maybe 500 bucks on this total, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I'm going to try to make 500 bucks next year. And that seems like not huge. And it's also not big and glamorous because you're not signing those million dollar checks, but just to be profitable as a person who has a passion about something in particular, that's Let me just say for the million plus musicians that I work with, if, if they just set a proper context for how many fans and just set a proper context for what sort of uh, financial goals they're trying to, trying to hit, you will feel really good after your first year. And then you will, and maybe you don't hit them, but you will feel like this is attainable. And then just maybe add a little bit, add 10% the next year, be very incremental. But that's what I guess ultimately is set the right goals for the next year. So that we all feel motivated to set them again for the next year after that. It's like me and deleting my songs. If I focus too much on the next record, instead of just what's immediately in front of me, I'm not really setting myself up for success. So define something that will make you feel successful 
listen to other artists who could tell you what that is. Something that you can do in the next year. That's that's what I would define as success as a musician. What you're doing with your business, if your music is a business, I think you have to shift the context a little bit. But ultimately, I would define it as what you need to do to feel that same sense of success over the next year. I love that. That next step that's right in front of you, don't get ahead of yourself. That That's fantastic. And you actually answered both of my questions. The next one being uh, words of wisdom and, and, and they tied perfectly into one another. And it resounds also with me when I think, I think it's Seth Godin with, when he's, you know, uh, finding, you know, 100 true followers, right? That's, that's where it comes from. Yeah. That's yeah. a big yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 102 followers. Uh, what was the other one was? Yeah, it was like 200, even 100 fans, but I think it was 200 real fans is what we were talking about internally. Yeah, That was just yeah. like, if you could get 200 fans, and so how would you define a fan? I was like, well, if you could get a if you had somebody who would spend $50 on you in a year, you know, they would go to your show, they'd maybe buy a piece of merch, they would absolutely listen to your music at least once or twice a month, sit on their playlist or whatever it is. Like that adds up to 50 bucks. And if you get 200 people doing that pretty quick, like that's actually some income. Right. It's not something to laugh at. Right. But you get lost in like, well, how am I, how, how do I find the right lawyer? How do I find the right manager? How do I find all these things? And it's like, just get some fans. And if you can get 20. Yeah. I, uh, so what was it? Uh, I was uh, camping this summer and sitting around with, friends and friends of friends and a friend of a friend said that he listened to my song like a month before that and was like, man, I, I forgot, like, I forgot about that song. All right. Uh, I didn't know you wrote songs. That song was awesome. My buddy told me to listen to that song. I listened to it. That's just great. And I'm a president of a multinational entertainment corporation that has big success. And for just some friend of a friend to say like, you write a really good song was like, yeah, that's awesome. Right. That's, that was one of the biggest things for me. Uh, and I've had other people tell me that I write good, whatever, but uh, just, I guess I just really want to boil down for the independent musician. Like, that's a big damn deal. And let that happen. Focus on that. And you'll feel quite motivated for everything that's ahead. I love it. I love it. Okay, you've heard it here, ladies and gentlemen. CD Baby, everywhere on socials. DIY Musician, everywhere on socials. Get the blog for sure. Joel, before we wrap up, this has been very enlightening. Thank you so much. But before I let you go, do you mind some rapid fire? For sure. Let's I got do a stack it. of them right here. I go yeah. old school. I do my index cards. I throw yeah. them like David Letterman used to do. You ready? Here we go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Top three artists in your playlist. Ooh, uh, trying to do Count Basie. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Drive Like Jehu. Um, and I would, who's the other one? It's going to be uh, Cypress Hill. I love the variety. Last <laughs> concert you attended that you did not play? Last concert that I attended. That, it, this is hard because it's been, it's been a long some time. time. You know, the last concert that I did not play was a friends and family show that was in a buddy's backyard. They had run on sentence. They had the builders and the butchers, all bands that are based in Portland. They just had somebody go up there and play it. Autopilots for lovers. But it was just 
it was real bands, but broken down into acoustics for like 40 people in a buddy's backyard. Love it. Two months ago. Favorite food or restaurant? Well, favorite food is going to have to be a burrito. Uh, Favorite restaurant? (laughs) Sorry, Popeye's Chicken. Ooh, that's some good stuff though, man. All right, favorite city besides Portland? Favorite city besides Portland? It's a... It's a toss-up between Guadalajara, Mexico, and Valencia, Spain. They're just beautiful, delicious food. You can't go wrong with either. Uh, I just always have a good time. I love that. And while we're on the favorite subject, drink of choice. Libation that you favor? I'm trying to convince myself that it's water (laughs) (laughs) Uh, because I always need to drink more water. You know, honestly, I'm a coffee fan, coffee fanatic. I'm always drinking coffee. So I'll just say coffee, which is why it should be water. <laughs> ah, good point. Yes, I know. I got my water over here. I got to drink more. Instrument you wish you played? I don't know what it's called. Uh, the concertina, uh, I think it's the the, sque- the French squeeze box, the yeah. French version. Uh, I wish I played that, but that is some complicated stuff. Uh, both the technique, let alone the fingering, I just oh, don't. Buttons, yeah. I only sound terrible when I touch it, and it's and it's. I can't control the volume, so I don't know if I'll ever be allowed to bring one home. But uh, <laughs> that's what I. That's what I wish I could play. All right, favorite decade of music. A decade of music. <sighs> I guess. I mean, just because it's hardwired in, I'd say two thousands. Uh, I mean, it's just what I grew up with and all my great life experiences happened to. So that's my, that's what I'm going to play. Song or band or artist that changed your life. Ooh, easily. Uh, Pedro the lion out of Seattle, uh, kind of an emo rock band. Uh, David Bazan, the front person has done a whole bunch of different stuff, but his like, he was always really open and, and, uh, he would, he would have a questions and answers section during his live show where he would just ask the audience if they had questions. He was always super candid and honest about where he's at and what it is to be a musician and thinking about musicians as humans, big rock stars as humans, instead of as just rock stars was that changed my perspective on everything. Very cool. Unique choice, by the way. I like that. Your friends would say you are. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I guess uh, a, a good nice time. Guy? <laughs> I, I would say Joel is a good time. That's what they would say. A good time. I like it. Okay. We are in the entertainment business, but what entertains Joel Andrew? Ooh. Say a good video game these days. That's like, a, that's my little like 15 minute retreat every day is try to get a little bit of gaming on a Nintendo Switch or something like that. That's a good entertainment for me. A gamer, excellent. Dream collaboration that you would love to, studio live, doesn't matter. I want to play with so-and-so. I want to perform with such-and-such. I don't know who the drummer would be. Vocalist would be Janis Joplin. Mm. Guitar player would be Jimi Hendrix. And then I'd be playing bass. Uh, I could not go wrong. Yeah, that'd be fun. All right, and finally, the little virtual drum roll here. 
What would you do if you weren't a career musician? <laughs> I'd run CD Baby. Uh, <laughs> you do that anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think if I wasn't... Um, gosh, I don't even know. Uh, I would be selling tacos in London. In Delicious London. street tacos in Soho. I wouldn't start selling them until two after 2 a.m., Bars start to close, close, clubs start to close, and I'd sell 10, 10 pound tacos. Uh, because you can't, yeah, but like real legit street tacos in London, they would sell like that. That's what I do. I, I think I totally agree with that. That is an excellent choice, my friend. Joel, man, once again, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, good questions. Thanks for the space. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.